It's good when you start off your service speaking in tongues. <laughs> and don't think that when we get to heaven, everybody's going to be speaking English. 
It's going to be all languages mixed together there as we worship around the throne. And so we just wanted to share with you that. That was from our Tennessee Baptist uh, Convention a couple of weeks ago. And we'll have another uh, special music that we'll share right before the message. I want to welcome those of you who are online with us there on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter. Uh, be sure to give us the hearts, the likes, the thumbs up. Subscribe there to YouTube. Uh, follow us there on Facebook. Uh, retweet us there on Twitter. All those things just help to get the word out. You can do that here in person also. And then don't don't forget our phone live streaming. Uh, if you need that number, we'll be glad to give that to you. You can just call the church office uh, and we'll share that with you. Uh, and welcome to those who are on our phone live streaming this morning. I uh, also want to encourage you, if you're at home, go to our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com uh, under the info tabs where you'll find today's worship bulletin. If you need one of these in person, our ushers will be glad to come around and give you one. But there are some, uh, I know there's some in this one to still not sure if there are there anymore, uh, but there are some in this one. So be sure to get one there at the doors as you leave this morning. Morning. Lots of upcoming events coming for December, so we want to encourage you to get one of those uh, so you can follow along with what all is going to be happening uh, during this month. And then also under that same info tab, you can download the worship bulletins for children for today's message. If you need those in person, they're in this windowsill to my right, to your left. And then while you're there, also be sure to get the, the prayer lo list downloaded so you can be praying for all those individuals on our prayer list uh, and uplifting them uh, in your hearts and prayer. Uh, we're looking forward to an exciting worship service this morning. So Brother Mike, come and lead us. Good morning all. Those of you that have your hymnals and want to sing your hymnals, turn to 174. Uh, just know that we're going to go through the little chorus twice. Stand and join the choir as we sing in the name of the Lord. As we come to our missionary moment, we want to remember Jacob and Francine Zellian. Uh, they have started, planted, set free church in Sanger, California. Uh, to reach people that no one else is reaching. They're reaching out to addicts and to the homeless. Uh, God saved Jacob while he was in the jail uh, himself and, and then called him uh, into ministry. And now he's trying to help others who uh, feel forgotten and beyond the love of God. And as a part of their church ministry, they provide food and, and serve hot meals uh, several times a week. So we want to uplift them uh, in our prayers uh, this morning. Uh, also. And so let's go to the Lord uh, in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for the many blessings that you have given to us. We thank you for watching over us and keeping us safe in your arms. Lord, we thank you that we're here in your presence this morning to worship you and to uplift our prayers on behalf of others, Lord, who are serving uh, many in our place, Lord, where we uh, couldn't go, they have gone. And so, Father, we thank you for calling individuals like Jacob and Francine. Uh, we ask, Lord, that you will bless them in their ministry there at Set Free Church uh, in California. We ask, Lord, your blessings on them as they seek to reach the homeless and addicts there. Uh, that he knew so well, especially, and open those doors and opportunities for them to share the gospel, to see your kingdom grow uh, as you reach out uh, to those who are lost. Lord, help us to realize that every Sunday as we give, we're giving our tithes and offerings towards our missionaries, uh, but we do have those special offerings uh, three times a year for our state missionaries, for our North American missionaries, and our international
international missionaries. And we just pray that as we get ready uh, here in the next week to enter into the time of prayer for our international prayer missions, we ask God that you will uh, just open up uh, the, the doors of heaven and bless all of our missionaries uh, as we begin that next Sunday and that emphasis. We pray, God, that you will uh, just have your hand upon us to bless us and to keep us, Lord, keep out of focus on our hearts as we seek to reach uh, the goal that we have before us. So uh, bless us this morning as we come to worship you. We give everything to you. We ask for your spirit to lead and to guide us uh, into your presence, into your throne uh, room of grace. And we just ask, Lord, for your will to be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me just share a few things with you. We just went uh, to Operation Christmas Child yesterday. Uh, we had five that were signed up to go. Only four of us got to go. One was sick, uh, but uh, we had a great trip there. I'll tell you about that in just a second. But Miss Terry wanted me to share with you uh, from the Operation Christmas Child Shoebox Collection Center and what our church uh, did here uh, to share with you what the final totals were. So the boxes we had over here on the side uh, that our church gave and a few others that came in extra from that, uh, we collected 135 shoeboxes boxes just from our church and so we praise the Lord uh, for that. Our collection site here for Tullahoma collected 3,154 shoe boxes uh, and on the on the trucks from the regional area we had 10,243 shoe boxes so we just praise the Lord for that. Give the Lord a hand for that. And for the four of us who went yesterday to Atlanta to the processing center, uh, yesterday, the total that they did just in one day, uh, when we, about 30 minutes before we left was the last time they gave us a total number, was 89,500 in just that one day. Uh, and that'll continue on all through the next three weeks, I believe it is. Uh, and we know they hit over the 90,000 before we left 30 minutes later and probably close to the 100,000, if not that, and beyond by 10 o'clock that night, last night. And so we just praise the Lord for that and that opportunity. We have another occasion uh, coming up uh, that's going to be on December uh, the 10th. Uh, and so uh, we're going to be going down. We've got two slots left out of 16, so we'll be taking 14 at least right now. If you want to sign up, there's a sign-up sheet on the hall, down the hallway on the missions board. Be sure to get signed up so we don't forget you uh, in going to that. If you have taken one of the angels from the angel tree out in the foyer, uh, there's a few of those. We didn't get the little name piece that you were supposed to sign on the back of it and to leave in the offering plate. We didn't get those. So if you'll be sure to bring that back, but also bring your gifts back, we'll need those back next Sunday. So be sure to bring your angel uh, child gift uh, by next Sunday. Uh, and then also we've got a lot of other things coming up. We've got our Christmas program that the choir is going to be doing. Uh, we want our children again to be a part of that. And so this afternoon at 5 o'clock, if your children want to be a part of that and to sing uh, in our Christmas program, uh, we're going to just run over a couple of songs uh, really quick this afternoon for about 30 minutes uh, at 5 o'clock. So be here then, uh, and then we'll run over it just in our beginning of our Awana time uh, next, this coming Wednesday night. So be sure to be here for Awana also. And the kids, the Christmas parade, that's coming up this uh, Friday also. So we've already had the float over at Brother Jimmy and Miss Pat's uh, for us to decorate. We're going to be over there in the evenings uh, on Monday and Tuesday at least. Hopefully it won't take too much longer than that. Uh, but if your children want to be in the parade or you want to be in the parade to just walk and help us to hand out some things, uh, that's going to be on Friday. We'll need you to show up uh, at South Jackson Civic Center there. Uh, that's where you can park there and let your kids out to go uh, We'll be and walk them over. We'll be at 530, what did I tell you, 6. Uh, 6, 6.15 is when we want the kids there. Uh, the float will be there somewhere around 5 o'clock. They shut the street off at 4.30. Uh, we'll get our packet tomorrow so we'll know more of the details and specifics tomorrow. But the kids, uh, somewhere around 5, 5.15 uh, to start getting there for the float so that they can uh, judge our, our float there. And then also don't forget, I think we've got the picture of this. Uh, Chosen Road is going to be here singing uh, December the 20th at 6.30 p.m. That's on a Tuesday evening. That's uh, different than a Sunday service there and so uh, this is the only time that they had to be able to come as they're doing their Appalachian Christmas uh, tour uh, their Southern Bluegrass Gospel uh, Band they are great they are number one on the uh, billboard charts for gospel bluegrass right now uh, their album is number one and so we just praise the Lord for that I know these guys they're from West Virginia but they uh, one of their band members was from Mountain City we used to have them at our church there uh, you're gonna receive a wonderful blessing put it on your calendar you want to be here that Tuesday evening 630 December the 20th. And so I think that's all I had to say.
All I can say is wow. A lot going on, getting more and more as we get closer to uh, Christmas. We are called to be God's people, God's servants, and God's prophets. This next song, let's sing about that very thing. 390, we are called to be God's people. Join the choir. Miss Pat. Reminder, the Children's Church will be gathering over here on the piano side during this next song. So join us uh, as we sing Make Me a Blessing, hymn 569. If you have your hymnals, you can turn to 569. And stand with the choir and let's sing the song. Love as the man. 
face-to-face. That's our Tennessee Baptist men's and women's uh, chorale. They sing uh, in various places at times across our state and especially uh, at our convention. They're music ministers and and those involved in music ministry uh, across our state. And so we just praise the Lord for their faithfulness to be used and to allow us to be able to share that with you this morning. Take your Bibles and open them to Luke chapter 13 and verse 22. I told you last week, uh, last Sunday morning, we were in chapter 14. Uh, We went back last Sunday night to chapter 13 to kind of bring us to where we are, and that's where we are this morning. And so uh, this kind of prepares us for what we saw uh, last week and and looking at uh, our eternity and where we're going to spend our eternity. But Luke chapter 13, verse 22 and verse 23 is where I want to begin reading from. So if you would, let's stand and read God's word in honor of his word. And he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Let's stop. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage this morning and for the heart that Jesus had in his life and his ministry to fulfill all that you had called him and sent him to do. Lord, we know then the passages prior to this, his focus has been upon the Galilean ministry, but now his heart turns towards Jerusalem. And Jerusalem being that uh, he is turning towards your chosen people, uh, that you have a special relationship with there, uh, who brought about the Messiah, who brought the gospel for us uh, in him. And yet also, Lord, uh, having a heart towards Jerusalem, knowing that he would go there to die on the cross for our sins. And so I pray this morning that that's the message that those who don't know Christ as Lord and Savior will hear, that they will hear the gospel message, and that those of us who are saved will hear that gospel message and that heart that Jesus has in the burden that he has for Jerusalem, that we would have a burden for Tullahoma, for Tennessee, and for our nation and the world. So bless your word this morning, and may it go forth, Lord, and not return void. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you can be seated. In the New Testament, there are about 260 chapters, and Jesus' return is mentioned in no less than 318 times in those 260 chapters. Statistically speaking, that's one verse in every 25 mentions uh, Christ's return. And so even just a quick reading of the New Testament highlights the importance of the return of Christ. You know, Jesus used all kinds of images to communicate uh, both the inevitability of his return and the urgency of his return. And we've already seen a few of those as we jumped ahead to chapter 14, uh, where he refers to his return uh, even as a thief uh, coming, uh, entering a home in the middle of the night. Uh, He likens his second coming uh, to to lazy servants who who think their master uh, is delayed. Uh, On another occasion, he refers to virgins who aren't prepared for the the wedding when the the bridegroom comes. Well, in this passage this morning, Jesus is going to use two other images here. One is a picture of a door that is quickly closing and finally closing. And the second picture is that of a banquet at a table where certain people aren't allowed to enter while others enjoy themselves. Both are pictures of the gospel and both evoke the urgency for those who listen to his voice. You know, for many people, Jesus' teaching isn't just challenging. For many people in our world today, the words of Jesus are literally revolting. Uh, You know, but before we deal with Jesus' answer and what we see here at the end of verse 23, I want to kind of set the scene for you because the Bible is really one big story. It's a story with the beginning, it's a story with the middle, and it's a story with the end. The Bible tells us that uh, that makes, what, what the Bible tells us makes sense 
of all the smaller stories of each of our individual lives. You know, the Bible is a single story, and it begins in the Garden of Eden, as we said last time. Uh, it begins in a garden, in an innocent garden, and it ends, as we looked at heaven and the garden there, in a glorious garden city. We've been seeing that on, on Wednesday nights in our study of the book of Revelation. It's important for you to know this, uh, to comprehend the Bible's teaching, to make sense of it all. So we're zooming in to examine this one aspect of the end times, and yet, I want to keep in mind the 30,000-foot the big picture, uh, if you will, because we are living between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. We're living between God's reentry, where he rescued us from sin and from death, and between that and his complete restoration of the world in the coming days. So what we're going to see in these verses is, is he lays out two timelines, and this is seen all throughout the scriptures. Uh, there's your personal timeline, and then the Bible offers you the world's future timeline as well. So the Bible gives detail about your future personal uh, details and what will happen there, what happens when you die, as well as what happens after you die, uh, while, while the world awaits its end. In fact, the Bible teaches that everyone, everywhere, is going to spend eternity in one of two places, either in heaven or in hell. There is no in-between. There is no third choice. Uh, and so uh, what we find here in verse 23, if you go back to verse 23 and look at what it says, someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? In other words, what this individual was asking Jesus is, who gets to go to heaven? The people asked Jesus, who asked Jesus this question in the first century felt like they would go to heaven simply because they belonged to the Jewish nation, a nation of God's chosen people. But in this passage, Jesus connects that world timeline to our personal timeline by giving us these two pictures. So here's the first picture, the picture of the door, the picture of the door. And you'll see this in verse 24 and verse 25. He says, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. So get the first point here that Jesus tells us there's a door to heaven. On another occasion in John's gospel, Jesus tells us that he himself is the door. In John chapter 10 verse 9, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And so when Jesus is asked essentially, Lord, will those who are saved be few, it's important both to note both what Jesus says and what he doesn't say. Here's what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, oh, oh, wait a second, listen, you got it all wrong. The entryway to heaven is wide, it is spacious. Uh, my father didn't lock it down like some airport security. Instead, there are doors everywhere. He didn't say that. What he says is that heaven is a place where there's only one entryway into heaven. The door of heaven only opens from the inside in verse 25 uh, that we see there. And so notice only God opens the door and allows people in. Notice a, a couple of things about Jesus' story about this door. Notice he says the door is narrow. You know, sometimes, especially here in America, we want to think everybody who goes to church is going to heaven. That's not true. Only those who know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior are going to heaven. Many of us, you know, have asked for directions at times, and someone tells us at the end of their explanation, oh, you can't miss it. Jesus says, the door is narrow, and it's easy to miss it. In fact, he says, there's a lot of people who are going to search for it, but they're going to miss it. 
You know, in our culture today, uh, we're so used to choices. More than that, we tend to be, sometimes be addicted to choices. We're no longer able to comprehend, uh, you know, days of old when, when our, our past generations, our grandfathers and our, our grandmothers, when, uh, when they used to just have one place to go to shop. I mean, we've got multiple places, and they're springing up all over, and they're opening as, you, as we're going through the holiday season. But back in the day, you just had one general store that you went to. And you didn't go to all the, the different stores that we have today and all the different choices and all the different restaurants uh, that we have. How many restaurants do we have in Tullahoma anyway? <laughs> I never sat down to add it up. I know where a lot of them are. <laughs> but, but we have all kinds of choices of restaurants. When you go to the theater, you've got at least eight different movie theaters just at Regal here in Tullahoma, much less if you went to Opry Mills or down to Huntsville or somewhere like that, and you've got multitudes of screens to watch different kinds of movies on. We've got all kinds of choices to pick from the various foods we ate and the movies that we, that we want to see. We're addicted to choices, even in church. You know, sometimes in churches, we're offered various worship times where, you know, many of our jobs have offered flex kind of hours, especially uh, during the pandemic. You know, many of our schools, our choices in our choices there, what major am I going to go through? Various teachers who teach uh, the courses we choose. And, the, and we as people so often want choices when it comes to our religion and our God as well. Today, there are more than 1,000 organized religions in America. That blows your mind when you start thinking about that. Each one has its own system of belief and doctrine of God. Imagine for a moment that each different religion has its own door. Imagine standing in a hallway that's lined with all these doors of different religions and different choices, door after door, religion after religion. If the world were asked the question that Jesus has asked, they would have never spoke about there's just one way. In contrast, they would have said, no, there, there's multiple ways. There's all kind of ways that you can get to heaven. It, Jesus, though, says there's only one door. In fact, John 14 and verse 6, Jesus said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There is no other way to the Father, no other way to heaven, but through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Shortly after Jesus, you remember, had ascended into the heavens. You remember Peter uh, had been transformed and changed in his life. And he spoke these words in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. He said, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's only through Jesus Christ. The early church had that conviction. There's no back door to heaven. There is salvation in no one else. You know, think about that for a moment. Peter had friends, and Peter had family and loved ones who were Jews, people who had yet to receive Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. And he knew all of the emotional implications of what he was preaching. Because by saying that Jesus Christ alone is the only door to heaven, Peter knew the risk in cutting off his friends and cutting off his family who had already rejected the message of the gospel. If we're going to fully understand this, it's critical for us to realize that in our culture today, it, many times it is repugnant and it is as revolting in that culture as it is in ours today. I mean, think about the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was every bit as religiously pluralistic as our society, if not more. And it was probably as committed to the idea of religious relativism that every religion is equally valid, if not more, than we are today, even as our society. For example, in the Roman world, most people would have believed several things. Most people would have believed first that there were many gods. Everyone had their own gods. Everyone had their little images set up in their homes of their gods. And even from area to area, people had their own gods. Secondly, they believed that every god had limited sovereignty. Because think about it. It meant if you had the god of Ephesus, the god of Ephesus wasn't the god of Sparta. 
God, God's had sovereignty over certain regions, and, and, and certain gods had sovereignty over certain spheres, spheres of life, you could say, uh, because there were gods of, of agriculture, there were gods of war, there were gods of love, uh, or something like that. One thing that was understood in that society is that there was no god that was, over, that was God over all the rest. No one had the supreme God that was better or superior to all the other gods. Nobody. People today, when they hear the gospel, they say, well, that's just too narrow. So I don't have to look at the claims of Christianity. It was narrow to the original hearers in the New Testament, and it's narrow today. And, and so notice this. Yet even though it was narrow in the biblical days, there was something that some people saw in spite of that apparent narrowness that got them to believe. So what changed their minds? If Jesus was just another teacher like all the rest of the teachers, and he comes along and you obey his teaching in hopes that you get into heaven, but notice Jesus wasn't just another teacher sitting in the front row telling you how to live by his teachings. Instead, Jesus reverses everything. So notice what we see also about the door. It's not only narrow, it's closing. Jesus says the door is open now, but there's coming a time when the door will no longer be open. Look at verse 25. He said, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. He will, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. So Jesus not only says the door is narrow, he knows there's an end, that the door is closing. He knows that, that, that with world history, there is a stopping point. There is a time limit to this offer. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 tells us, And just as it is appointed for man wants to die, after this comes the judgment. So I want you to hear that very clearly. The door is closing. The door is closing for those of you who have never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want to encourage you, don't wait till the door is closed. Because you'll be like these individuals who are standing on the outside, knocking in, wanting to get in, and it's too late then. The door's been closed. It kind of reminds me uh, of when Noah and his family went into the ark. Who shut the door? God did. God shut the door to the ark, and nobody else of all those people that they had pleaded with, Noah had pleaded for over 100 years with people, listen to the word of God. The flood is coming. Judgment's coming. Come with us. Be safe with us. They wouldn't listen. And it was only Noah and his family that got in that ark, and God shut the door and nobody else was getting in when the rain started to come and the flood started to rise up everybody wanted to get in then I want to tell you this when the trumpet sounds and the clouds begin to part everybody's gonna to want to get in then but it's gonna to be too late the door is gonna be closed notice the second illustration that Jesus gives us here the second picture is that of a table it's that of a table we're going to see this in verse 26 down through verse 30. But notice that Jesus moves from this metaphor of a door to the second metaphor of a table. He uses that imagery of a table and a door to speak to the realities of the afterlife and how to prepare for eternity. So Jesus sees here two groups of people. And here's the deal. Many of us are going to be surprised on that day when God settles his accounts. Who's going to be there and who's not? Because notice what he says, some are excluded. Now, we don't always like to hear that, but some are excluded. Jesus says that some people will be cast out from the very doors of heaven and into hell. Go down to verse 28. In verse 28, it says, In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. Notice here, he's talking to religious people. He's talking to the church people of his day. And he's speaking to the church even today. Make sure beyond anything else that you know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. Or you will be on the outside looking in. Some are excluded. 
you know, so often in our society, especially here in America, you know, who do we think's in hell? We think the terrorist is in hell. We think the child molester is in hell. We think the murderer is in hell. And, and others who are like them, they're the ones who are in hell. But notice what Jesus says here. Jesus significantly widens the circle of all who are in that day are going to be in hell. Notice his criteria and how it differs from the sentiments even in our day. Go back to verse 25 down through verse 27. So once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, And you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. He will answer to you. I do not know where you come from. But then notice what their argument is going to be. Notice what their plea is going to be. Then you will begin to say, wait a second. We ate and we drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Nothing about murderers, nothing about child molesters, nothing about those who are terrorists. It's about those who've rejected the gospel message that Jesus is our Savior. So notice his criteria here. Those on the outside are those who don't know him as personal Lord and Savior, whether you're a murderer or not. You know, we so often place only the worst of this world in hell, but Jesus has different thoughts here on the matter. Jesus says uh, that they will say there in verse 26, wait, we sat down and ate with you. We came to church. But did you know him as your Lord and your Savior? Two times, notice Jesus two times in verse 25 and in verse 27, denies ever having a personal connection with these people he said I don't even know where you come from I don't know who you are I don't have a relationship with you I don't know where you come from there's coming a great reversal one day because verse 30 goes on to say and behold some who are last will be first and some who are first will be last the very people that you may think aren't going to be there could be the very people that will be if they know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Because it doesn't matter what they look on the outside. It doesn't matter uh, if they're homeless. It doesn't matter if, if they come from a, a bad background. If they know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior and they're seeking to live for him in their hearts and their lives, the Bible tells us they are saved and they will be there in heaven. Some people are going to be shocked as they go to hell. But notice some are included. Look at verse 29. And people will come from the east, from the west, from the north, from the south, and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. So get the picture here. It it, it is an, an exclusiveness, but there is also an inclusiveness. People from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, people from the west, people from the east, people from the north, people from the south. So notice Jesus' message isn't just about judgment. Jesus is laying the foundation for what he says in chapter 14 that we've already looked about, about the wedding feast. And that he's going to take in the outcasts and the poor and all those who were humble enough to admit that they needed a Savior. And they need a Savior. Notice something that we began with back in verse 22 at the beginning of our story here we're told that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem now to us that seems like maybe an insignificant part of the story who really cares where Jesus was uh, when he was when he told this story or where he was headed but notice verse 22 again he went on his way through towns and villages teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem when you look in the New Testament in the Gospels This is the turning point. All that ministry so far had primarily been towards the Gentiles, had been toward the Galileans uh, there in in the countryside. And now his heart has begun to turn towards Jerusalem because he knows what Jerusalem means. For one thing, his heart is moving towards Jerusalem uh, because uh, that is God's people that he had had a special relationship with that, that he had promised would bring the very one who would save them. 
And so his heart is moved towards Jerusalem, but he knows that he's headed towards Jerusalem to die. To not only to die for those Jewish people, but also to die for you and for me, for sinners. Jesus meant his death, and it meant he would be crucified. And Jesus was asked that question about the end times. Will those who are saved be few? And what Jesus literally turns is he turns the question around in those verses and said, will those who are saved include you? Will it include you? Because notice the burden that Jesus had. Notice the burden on his heart as we go into verse 31. We see, first of all here, a serious warning. In verse 31, at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here. Herod wants to kill you. Now think about this. Herod was the son of Herod the Great who had tried to kill Jesus when he was just an infant. Uh, he, he, had, he had beheaded John the Baptist. Uh, when he heard that Jesus was performing miracles, he was troubled because he thought that John had come back to life and, and was going to punish him. But whatever the reason was, Herod wanted Jesus out of his territory because he was afraid of his power. He was afraid of his influence over the people. And the people followed Jesus wherever he went. He was becoming popular amongst the people. And he was afraid that Jesus would stir them up against him and control the Jews controlling the Jews was was Herod's first priority and so we see the warning there the serious warning from the Pharisees but then notice a sincere challenge in verse 32 here's what Jesus says in response to that he said to them go and tell that fox behold I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day I finish my course now, that word fox there is a, means a cunning, crafty, sly animal. Herod was cunning and trying to get Jesus to leave his territory by sending people who seemed to care about his welfare, but really they were encouraging him to leave. When he says today and tomorrow, he's not really talking about literal days there, but a short period of time when he would continue to minister to these people. And so Jesus had a, had a window of opportunity for three years to minister to people before he would give his life as a sacrifice for our sins. In other words, what we see is Jesus would not be driven away by these threats, but by the plan and purpose of God for his life. That's what directed his life. Jesus took his orders from God and he would not shorten his work one day just to please or to escape some earthly king. His work wasn't going to be determined by Herod, uh, but by God. He had come to do the will of his father and he would not be deterred. But when he says the third day there, that's not taken literally three days from now, but it meant here after a little while, when he had completed his work in Galilee, which God wanted him to do, Jesus was going to complete his ministry, which would result in his death for our sins. And he would die, and he would be buried, and on the third day, he would arise. But they didn't believe what he said to them. Even the disciples didn't. But he wouldn't allow the fear of death to keep him from doing what the Father wanted him to do. Notice also in this burden a specific purpose. Because notice what verse 33 says. He said, nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Jesus was going to keep on doing the will of the Father no matter what Herod did because he knew Herod's not going to kill me out there. It's God's plan that I die on a cross in Jerusalem and I'm not going to die one second early till I get there and give my life on that cross. He knew he would die in Jerusalem like all the other prophets that God had sent before and that's what the people had done to them. They had killed them. They didn't accept God's message, and they would kill the messenger. But then notice, even with all of that, Herod wants to kill him. The people want to get rid of him. Jesus knows where he's going and that he's going to die on this cross, and yet this burden of a sincere sorrow overwhelms him in verse 34. And he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones, those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you 
were not willing. Jesus had a burden. And he had this tender compassion for this city that was the political and spiritual capital of the nation. The attitude of the national leaders affected the people's beliefs and their lives of the people. And so this city, they had had a history of rejecting the prophets of God. And now uh, he was going there himself to be killed because they didn't want to hear what the prophets had to say. And they certainly didn't want to hear what Jesus had to say. Throughout the century, they had killed those prophets. But in spite of their rejection of God's rebuke for their sin, notice Jesus' brokenness for them. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He's basically saying, I would save you, but you won't. You won't come to me. You continue to reject me. That word longed for means to desire, to will, or to wish. Uh, He yearned to see them come to faith. Jesus wanted these people to accept him as Savior. For them to believe that he was the Savior who would forgive them of their sins. He taught them. He healed them. He fed them so they would understand he is the real Messiah that the prophets had predicted. And Jesus offered salvation from sin to anyone who would believe in him. He was saying, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. He didn't come to build some physical kingdom, but a spiritual one. People wanted a physical kingdom to rescue them from Rome. They wanted physical blessings, but not the spiritual forgiveness. What what spiritual blessings of grace and mercy and forgiveness they would have received if only they would have accepted Christ as their Savior. But Jesus, in the brokenness of his heart, says, you weren't willing. Some of you who are here this morning, some of you who are watching online, that's been your heart thus far. You've not been willing to surrender your life to Jesus. But I want to tell you, you have another opportunity. I can't promise you another opportunity once you leave outside these doors. You're here this morning. You're watching this morning out of God's divine appointment because he wants you to know that he loves you, that he's broken for you, and he wants you to come to be saved. But so far, you've not been willing. When he says you were not willing, it showed they were responsible for their choices. You understand this, God has given us a free will to choose what we want, but he holds us accountable for the choices that we make. And we will one day have to answer for our sins and we will be judged for them. When people persist in rejecting God's call for repentance, there comes a time when God punishes us for our sins because he is holy and he is just. People don't get away with their sins forever. When he says you're forsaken, it means you're desolate, you're deserted, uninhabited, a solitary place. He was saying you're abandoned and desolate and deserted of any help from God because you have rejected And they were rejected because they rejected Jesus Christ. When people continue to reject God's call for repentance, there comes a time when God stops speaking to them anymore. Don't let this moment pass you by. Don't let that be you today. The Bible says in Psalm 118 and verse 26, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Psalm 118 was a triumphal procession song that was sung by Israel for victory over their enemy. The priests in the temple would give their blessing to the king as he comes to the temple. And even though the people did greet Jesus with those words of victory at his triumphal entry that we'll look at later, a few days later, they rejected him and said, crucify him, crucify him. They rejected Jesus and they were forsaken of God until they should call upon the one in whom they had rejected. Understand this morning, God is calling you to repent of sins so he can forgive you. True repentance will bring mercy instead of judgment. And the message for us this morning as believers, all that we would have that brokenness over the lost around us, that we would mourn like Jesus mourned, and that we would say, oh, America, America, Oh, Tennessee, Tennessee. Oh, Tullahoma, Tullahoma. Why won't you believe? He loves you. 
And he wants to save you. Until we get that kind of sincere burden and brokenness over the lost, we'll never have the heart of God. We'll never make the greatest impact that we can for the kingdom of God and be all that God wants us to be. Just remember this, whether you're lost or whether you're here this morning and you're saved, God never gives up on you even though you keep rejecting him. He loves you. If you've not trusted him as Savior and Lord, he loves you this morning. If you've not had that burden to share with the people around you who are lost the good news of the gospel message, he still loves you. And he wants you to start afresh and anew this morning. Would you come? Would you come? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for this message that shows us the heart of Jesus as he turns toward Jerusalem. Lord, I pray for us as believers that our heart would turn toward our areas where we live in, our communities where we live in. And Lord, our hearts would be just as broken as Jesus. Oh, that we would want the people around us, our family members, our friends, our co-workers, people we know in the community, all that we would want them, Lord, to be saved. Lord, I pray that you would create a burden within the hearts of believers this morning, an urgency that the trumpet could sound at any moment, that any one of us here could take our last dying breath, and that's it. There's no more opportunity to share. Father, I pray that we will make the most of every opportunity you give us to make an eternal difference and an impact for your kingdom's sake. Lord, there are those who may be watching, there may be those who are here in this sanctuary this morning who have never trusted by faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and you're calling them this morning. You're saying, I still love you. I'm giving you another opportunity, another chance right now. Lord, would you help them to step out by faith this morning and to call out to you and say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I believe Jesus died on that cross for my sins, that he was buried in the tomb and arose on the third day. I come and I give my life. I surrender it to you, Jesus. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Come into my life and save me and change me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. Father, I pray if someone's prayed something like that in their hearts this morning, may they come this morning to publicly profess that faith in Christ. Lord, I pray that there may be those who you're leading to become a part of this fellowship, to become a member of this church as we seek to share the gospel around us in this community. Father, I pray that your will be done in this invitation. And may you be glorified and honored. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Mike, come and lead us in our invitation. Would you stand? some announcements. What a powerful message this morning, and thank you, Pastor, for that. 
uh, challenge. And I want to encourage y'all to, uh, last weekend the youth did a, we did an event called Dare to Share where we went out and, and shared the gospel with those at the mall with Grace Baptist Church. And we saw students share the gospel over five times and, and be able to pray for strangers they've never met. And, and so I want to encourage you, you know, to be thinking and looking for gospel opportunities in your day-to-day -day life. And one of the things that we've been doing on Sunday mornings with the students is a study called Life on Mission. And it's challenging students to look at their life and evaluate how can I live my life on mission for the gospel. And so one of the things that really stood out to me and, and, and through the Dare to Share and doing this, so students, beginning of the year, uh, starting in, in January, what we're going to be doing is the, the last Sunday of every month is go and share the gospel at the mall. And so one thing I wanted to ask you to be doing is, is be praying. And so we're going to spend time, the, the, the Sundays before we go share, is to be praying each Sunday as, we, as that day leads up. And also asking parents or you know, adult leaders who are open or are wanting to be a part of this, because I'm going to need help when it comes to taking these students and having someone with them and, and, and helping them and praying with them. And so it's not something that uh, we can do on our own. We need uh, the body to be a part of that. And so it's an opportunity coming up in January. So I can't remember the last date of January that Sunday is, but uh, we're going to go and share the gospel, come back, talk about it, and talk about you know, how and what we saw and what took place. So be, begin to put that on your radar as, you know, here's the opportunity. You know, don't, let it, don't miss it. And so thank you. Um, just a few announcements. We want to keep the family of Mary Wells in, in your prayers. And uh, the Christmas parade, uh, the kids need to be there by 6, up there by South Jackson. Uh, I have a friend that his son found out that he has a mass in his uh, colon. So if you would keep him in prayer, his name is Braden Wyndham. He's 11, 12, somewhere around in there. So I think that's all the announcements. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we just come to you with thanksgiving in our heart. Just Thank you, thank you for your son you gave on the cross. Just be with us as we go out through this week to touch any family members that we need. In your name we pray.